If you'd uh, find your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. If you're using a pew Bible, that's if you're using your phone, Jack, you know. Find Mark chapter 7. This is what we've been looking at for the past a month or so, and we're wrapping this series up today. Next week, we'll begin a new series uh, looking at Leviticus chapter 23. Three. Leviticus chapter 23. And so if you are the kind of overachiever that reads ahead, there you go. What we've been doing is we've been looking through this chapter, or through this section of uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, as we've been exploring the situation that Jesus finds himself in. And really, it's such a universal situation. Uh, we talk about it as putting on a mask or putting on airs or hypocrisy. The idea that we have something that we put outward that isn't necessarily the way we think or feel inwardly. And Jesus' whole point throughout this section has been, listen, the monster that we are dealing with, the thing that is dangerous, the thing that is deadly, the thing that leads us into destruction, into, into judgment, isn't necessarily the things that you do, but rather it's focusing on the will, the mind, our desires. And by aligning our desires with the desires of God, we then uh, uh, move away from ever doing anything that would offend God in general. And so he focuses on that, and I'll read the last two verses as he kind of concludes this section. Verses 22 and 23. I'm sorry, for 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of a person come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of these Evil things, they come from within, and it is these things that defile a person. Over the past few weeks, I've been trying to point out how, though these sins seem very sort of like narrow and specific, and so if they're narrow and specific, I can sort of let myself off the hook and say, well, I don't, I've never murdered anyone, you know, I'm not stealing things from people. And so this isn't applying to me. But rather, Jesus is actually speaking very broadly. For instance, we talked about uh, deceit. It isn't just telling a lie, little white one or a really big one. It's about all of the ways that we use guile, and we use manipulation to get what we want out of people, even maybe your husband or your wife or your neighbor or a coworker, the way that we manipulate one another to get what we want. Talked about sensuality and how sensuality isn't just promiscuity or perhaps dressing scantily. It is also about the desire that we have to constantly push the envelope. We're always trying to break boundaries. What's the next thing I can do to get attention? What's the next scandalous thing we can, we, can, we can watch or be a part of? How can we break social and, more importantly, biblical norms? That sensuality such a broad category, and we all find ourselves swept up in it because that's the very nature of the culture that we live in. And we talked also about uh, the word that's translated here, slander. We talked about how that word is really speaking about the way that we speak about God. It's, it's the generic Greek word for blasphemy. How do we use the name of God? Do we use it with reverence and with awe? Is he our holy heart? Is he the thing we desire above all things? And if that's true, then why do we treat his name with such disrespect? Why are we allow people to tr treat his name with disrespect in front of us? Today, I want to talk about this last word, foolishness foolishness 
Because that's interesting. As I think about the word sin or the things that God's really going to be upset with me for doing, I think of lying, murder, adultery, theft, these kinds of big things. And, and though you know, no one wants to be called a fool, no one wants to be known as foolish, and no one really wants to be foolish either, I've never really thought of it as a sin, you know? But here it is. I mean, it's lumped in with adultery. It's lumped in with murder. It's lumped in with, with pride and envy and coveting. All these things. And here at the end, the last one, foolishness. Foolishness is this dangerous sin. And, and that's, that's very interesting to me. Very interesting to me. I think that strikes maybe society, or, or as we're sitting here, might strike you strange too. Uh, but Jesus is using it this way. And what's important, I think, about understanding the way the Bible speaks and the way Jesus speaks is that Jesus is trying to draw us to align ourselves with him. And what I think we try to do very often is get Jesus to be on our side. Jesus is never on your side. You are always either on his side or not. That's, that's it. And so if Jesus says, here, let me give you a list of things that are sinful, things that will lead you down a dangerous path, things that you want to get rid of out of your mind, out of your desire, out of your will, out of your heart, here it is, and foolishness is there. Let's just start by assuming Jesus is right. Okay? Same page, everybody? Hearty amen from everyone? Good. So foolishness, then, is a dangerous deadly sin. And what's interesting, too, is that this is not unique to Jesus. Jesus is not being original here uh, in the sense that it hasn't been heard before. In fact, throughout the scriptures, from beginning to end, there's all kinds of warnings about staying away from foolishness and foolish people. All kinds of examples of people who have destroyed their lives because of their foolishness. We might think of Nabal. We might think of uh, David and Bathsheba. We might think of uh, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. God says, don't eat the apple. So what do you do? Well, the serpent says it looks good, so maybe I should do it. No, right? That's a bad decision. Don't do it. It was foolish. We see all over the place the danger of foolishness. I think of two verses, and you've probably heard them before. This might not be new to some of you veteran churchgoers. Psalm 14, verse 1, it's also repeated in Psalm 96, where it begins both of those psalms with this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, uh, one that is akin to it is from Proverbs, another very famous line from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Um, Proverbs 1, uh, verse 1 through 7, uh, is talking about the value of wisdom. And then at the line, at the, in verse 7, it kind of concludes that whole thought as it introduces the entire book, especially chapters 1 through 8. It says here, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Some of you might have wisdom and knowledge. The idea is that you have information and then you know how to apply that information. Having the information is knowledge. Applying that information in a way that makes sense and turns out well, that's wisdom. Fools despise both wisdom and instruction. So the battle begins here. When we th begin thinking about foolishness, there's this question, is there a God? And some come to the conclusion that there is no God. Now, I can imagine the first line there, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, being rather offensive to atheists. So if you ever get in a discussion with an atheist, don't lead off with this verse. Might not win you any friends. Um, but it is important that we recognize that this is not trying to be insulting here. It's not trying to be insulting. Just, but there is 
sometimes in life, and I know this is scandalous to say, there is sometimes in life black and there is sometimes in life white. There is right and there is wrong. There are good decisions and there are really bad decisions. And a good decision is to believe in God, the scriptures say, and a bad decision is to not believe in God. And it begins here with this, this line that foolishness begins with a doubting of God. And it, and it isn't just a doubting of God's ways because that's, that's, that's understandable when dark times come. Every single Christian in this room has wondered, what in the world are you doing right now in my life, God? Right? We've all been there. That's... You know, that's, that's, just, that's just life. This is coming to the conclusion that there is no God. And this is, this is strange to me. This is strange to me. Because if we think about the nearly magical dance of subatomic particles, that as we continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper, we can't seem to find the baseline of what even makes matter. We think about the human body or the the body of an animal where we have all of this muscle and liquid and bone and all of it is operating completely outside of our subconscious. It's happening as as neurons are firing in our brains, these electrical impulses, and all the time I'm standing here preaching and hopefully you're not falling asleep with it. You're listening, right? We're doing all of these other things, creating, coloring, making music, playing sports, while your body is operating completely. And why is it doing that? What makes it run? How does this happen? Look at the vastness of our solar system where we have a sun that's set apart from an earth and a moon that circles that and all of this allows for life to exist and to flourish upon this big green ball from the very minuscule to the very, to the very huge cosmic things that we see in the world today and you come up with a solution that there is probably no God. So stop worrying and enjoy your life. My dear friend, Richard Dawkins. Um, I have to say that that is a foolish conclusion. I mean, even if I want to bracket Christian faith, and, and, I'm, and I'm willing to do that for the sake of argument, bracketing, bracketing all of what I think about God and all the philosophy and theology that have built into me, if I just bracket all of that and I just roll dice, I just call numbers, and I say, look at the, the minuscule to the massive, and I say, in all of this stuff that seems to be operating, what are the chances that all of this stuff came from nothing Or what are the chances that all of this stuff came from some kind of cause, some kind of mover? I think just the dice roll is that probably something came from a mover because I've never seen something come from nothing, right? I mean, just philosophically, that makes no sense. And so what the Bible says is it begins by saying, "This this is foolishness. The fool says in the heart, there is no God. And why have we gotten to this day and age where we see atheism exploding in the West. Why? Because we've reached the pinnacle of human science? Because we've mapped the human genome? Apparently not the guy who mapped the human genome. He's a Christian, right? This is is foolishness. The fool says in the heart, there is no God. And, and, And it doesn't mean that there aren't smart people that believe this, right? It's not about intelligence. This is about wisdom. Because intelligence doesn't necessarily lead to wisdom. Intelligence or knowledge is that I locked the door behind me when I came into the church yesterday afternoon. Wisdom is don't let the door be closed behind you while your keys are still in your office, right? There's a difference in the two. There's a difference in the two, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about wisdom, and I think the important point of this line of of what we see here is is not really a belief that 
that it's impossible that there's a God out there. I think this is the issue right here. The question is, if we recognize and admit there is a God, then wisdom must lead us to ask the question of, who is this God and what does he want? And that is a scary question because I pretty much always want to do what I want, right? And so that's the heart of this issue. And that leads me to think about Romans chapter 1, verses um, 21 through 22. Uh, if you're in the Pew Bibles, it's, uh, it's page number 939. It says this, For although they knew God, they did, well, you know, I'm going I'm to go for, back up a little bit. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, all of these things are clearly perceived. Exactly like I was saying, from the very small to the very large, this intricate dance of verdancy across the world. Um, they can be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So then in these things that have been made known, they are without excuse. No one has an excuse to say, well, there's no reason to ever think that there is a God. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but, their, um, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now here Paul is talking about the kind of idolatry that he's running into in, in, in Israel and around Israel and especially in Rome where they literally erected, and you've seen these in like art class or maybe if you've gone to a museum, literally erected these statues and said, this is a representation of the god Zeus who is up on Mount Olympus right now looking over our lives and sometimes, sometimes stepping in to capriciously manipulate them. We don't do that anymore. Like we don't put up idols like that. We have pop stars and movie stars and talk show hosts and cultural icons who because of what they think and they have control of the airways are able to push it out and we lap it up like dogs. We allow our children to lap it up like dogs without ever criticizing and stopping it or, or saying, hey, think about this. We never think about whether this is true or false, wise or foolish. No, if Lady Gaga is behind this, so am I. Right? This is... This is the way the world is operating right now. And what category could we put this in other than this is straight up foolishness. Straight up foolishness. More common even than this, I think, is that we make our own desires our God. Why do I do the things I do? Because I want to. Well, is that a wise way to think about the world? Is that a wise way to operate life? It certainly will get you what you want, perhaps some of the times, but it very likely will destroy everyone around you. And the question is, if there is a God, then he is calling you to do something about it. And so foolishness in the scriptures, as it begins to describe it, begins with the question or the answer or the conclusion that there is no God, which leads me then to ask the question, well, then what will be my God? Because human beings are incurably religious. Everyone in the world has an idol in their heart. Everyone, always. So if there is no God, then there must be a new idol in my heart. What is that idol? Usually, it's uh, the world around me or my own desires, but eventually it brings us to utter ruin. Because the conclusion of the matter is this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house upon a rock. 
dug that foundation deep into the things that I have said so that the rains come and the, the winds howl and the storm beats against this house and the floodwaters rise. Perhaps it even fills up the basement, destroys some things, but the house itself does what? Stands firm. And not so the one who hears my words and doesn't, what, put them into practice. Because it's not hearing the words, it's not the knowledge of the words, it's the practice of the knowledge, which is wisdom. It is hearing and practicing. So in hearing and practicing and and building that house on the rock, we are preserved in the storms of life and in the storms of judgment. But the foolish man who hears the word and does not put them into practice is like someone who built a beach house. And man, when you step outside that house, your toes immediately hit sand. Oh yeah, yes. That is the house that I want. If you say, live on the mountain or live on the beach, I live on the beach every single time. Open up the windows, man, look at that view. The beach parties year after year after year, but one day the storms will hit. One day the storms will hit. And because there is nothing but sand all the way down, the house washed away. And great is that loss. This is the root of foolishness. And so when Jesus adds that to his list, to this viceless that says, yeah, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't let these things fester in your heart. When he says foolishness, he means foolishness because foolishness is a slow slide down to hell. You must avoid it at every single cost. So what is the opposite of this vice? Well, it is the virtue of wisdom. If you turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, in the Pew Bible it's 528, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. They say this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding from the gain from her, so thinking of personifying wisdom as a female, which of course Funny, right? I mean, it's so true. It's so true. For gain from her is better than gain from silver. Profit from her better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. You gotta go, yeah. Uh, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness. And her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. We could fill this church this morning. Be pretty easy. We could hand out gold or silver or precious gems just at the door. Like, here you go. And we would, I mean, we'd be turning people away, wouldn't we? We'd be turning people away. But if we said, next Sunday morning, we are not going to sing um, we're not going to tell jokes. There won't be any. There will be no fun whatsoever. The only thing that we will be doing is imparting wisdom to you. We might lose the people who are here right now. What is your desire in coming here this morning? Is it truly to worship and to gain wisdom because it is better? You know what's so interesting about this is that that going back to that that billboard that we were just talking about. You know, that billboard, uh, I, I agree with that second line. Like, stop worrying and enjoy life. In fact, I remember in the same chapter that Jesus talks about the wise and foolish builders, doesn't he say that? Do not worry. 
Because if you worry, have you added a minute to your life? No, you've lost a minute. You could have been enjoying it, but instead you were fretting about something you can't control. You can't make your hair change. You can't make your your body grow. You can't make anything happen. And so why don't you just trust God? So the the message of the scriptures is not, hey, uh, you should be worried. No, the, 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 the message of the scriptures is, let me impart to you wisdom so that you know how to live the good life. I mean, look at this stuff, long life. Is in her right hand, in her left hands are riches and honor, her ways are pleasantness, her paths, all her paths are peace. Those who hold fast are called blessed. I mean, like, I want some of that stuff, right? I, I want that to be said of me. I want people to see that in my life. Well, how do I get there? Like, that's the bottom line question. That's the question that we've stopped asking as a society is how do we get there? What is the wisdom that will lead me to the paths that are good? And not just to me, because we aren't a self-centered people here at ODCC, right? But to all of those, I saw that face. But to all of those around me, to my family, to my church, to the wider society, how do we walk the blessed way? And why must we follow the ways of God? Proverbs continue there. Uh, this is actually verses eight, 19 and 20. I marked it wrong. I apologize for that. The Lord, by his wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds drop down the dew. All things that were made have been made by God. All things. And how has he created all things? God had knowledge. I don't know what kind of knowledge it was, obviously. (laughs) And God was able to uh, impart or use that knowledge. He was able to use wisdom to create everything from the smallest particle to the largest sun. He was able to utilize that knowledge and to create with it. He laid the foundations of the earth by his own wisdom. He implanted into the human heart a desire for justice. Who have you met that has not said once in their life, that's not fair? We have all said that. If we are nothing but just genetic mistakes, mutations, uh, highly evolved animals, if that is all that we are, where did the sense of justice come from? Where did the sense of compassion come from? Where did our anger when we see people hurting in other countries, where did that come from? Who implanted that in our minds? Who gave that to us? No, God did. He laid the foundations of the earth by his wisdom so that we innately have a sense, at least a sense, even if we've never heard one gospel word, we have an innate sense of just and unjust, right and wrong. The golden rule is written across the world, whether you're a Christian or not. It's implanted in people. God, by his wisdom, laid this out. And so if you will be wise... If you will live this life that we just read about, a life of of honor, a life that is long, a life that is good, a life that exemplifies something, and a life that gives you hope beyond just your day right here and now, that will see you through the judgment of God because the call of justice has never been answered, has it? There is still no answer for the Holocaust. There is still no answer for child slavery. There's still no answer for the smaller injustices that have happened in your life. And the gospel is that there will be a day of reckoning. 
there will be a day when those wrongs are made right. The problem is that all of us have done some of those wrongs to one another. So we too stand under judgment. And so the question that says, if you would be wise, then how would you stand in that judgment? How would you pass through it? How would you live a life that is worthy of living? My son, my daughter, do not lose sight of these, but keep sound wisdom and discretion for they will be life to your soul and adornment around your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. That is good news. The danger of foolishness, as Jesus is pointing out to us, is that if we allow it, and again, remember this isn't foolish action. It's not foolish action. That's a completely different sermon. If you want to stick around for another half an hour, we'll get to that. Uh, this, is, this is what we harbor in the heart. And heart, again, remember, is, is will, is the mind, is the desire. Allowing foolish desires to even begin to take root in our heart will allow them to grow. And as they grow, they will overshadow what is good and right. They will eclipse the wisdom of God, and we will become, as we read from Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 23, that they will cause a futility of thinking. Your thinking, the thoughts that go on in your mind, will be meaningless. They will be rootless. They will be a waste of thought life, a waste of time, and a waste of thought leads to a waste of time, leads to a waste of life, right? So foolishness is, is not something to be taken lightly, but it's something to be feared. And it's, it, it's the absolute evidence that we see in the world around us that the world is completely and utterly foolish. I mean, think about the way that we live our lives. We know that McDonald's is going to kill you. But man, those Egg McMuffins, those things are so amazing, aren't they? Oh, what was it, Friday. Yeah, we're eating this thing, and we're like, this is, this, is, this is dumb, but oh, so good. I mean, we know these things. We have the knowledge, but we don't have the wisdom, or maybe the self-discipline to say, hey, that's, that's dumb. You know that drinking that Coke is like eating a birthday cake. You told me five minutes ago you're watching your way, but maybe you'll have two or three more after that one. Instead of the wise man or woman who chooses coffee, black coffee, <laughs> because they know... That black coffee helps to present, prevent heart disease, diabetes, Parkinson's. This is true. You can look it up. I'm trying to impart some wisdom to you and your beverage choices for the rest of the day. All right? You're welcome. We know TV and movies are an utter waste of time. Like, we know we're sitting down. You watch four hours of Portlandia. You're not really doing much for your life. But, man, I really want to do that tonight, right? We know that politicians and political parties are full of money and hot air. And yet we are going to fight for a year, a year, like cats and dogs, over which of the bad choices is the best bad choice. This is, this is nonsense. This is foolishness. We know that marketers and movie companies and musicians are intentionally trying to change your thoughts about what is right and what is wrong. And that their target is your children. And yet we still will not be careful about what we watch and what we listen to. We know 
that that little bundle in the mother's womb is made of genetic material that is human. All the organs, the blood, the bone, the brains of a human can move and can feel pain, and yet we're arguing, is it human? We know that kids do best in a two-parent home that is built upon mutual submission as revealed in Scripture, even if you don't believe in Scripture. This is sort of like just scientifically true. And yet we continue to break our homes because we don't want to live together anymore. We know, we know that sex outside of marriage causes a host of problems, not the least of which is pregnancy. But we think the best way to help not let that happen is to teach teenagers safe sex because you know how great teenagers are about being safe, right? Makes a lot of sense. We know that the father of a household is obligated by God to be the spiritual head of that household. That those without fathers in the household, the mother is to be the leader, the example, the one who stands up and reveals the ways of God is the example of passion and commitment to God and his church. But we simply are so busy. And then we wonder why kids go to college and meet people who are, who, are, who are passionate about their atheism or their environmentalism or just drinking for crying out loud, and we wonder why we lose them. This is foolishness. We know that reading Scripture will draw us to God. We know it will fill our minds with holiness. We know that it will make us wise unto salvation. We know that it will permeate our being so that we can resist evil in this evil day, and yet we won't pick it up this week. We know that we are called by God to gather with the church day after day to be supporting one another, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens. We know that singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another enlivens our hearts. We know that the teaching and preaching and reading of the word together in community will allow us to be ready for the evil day as well. And yet, we're so busy. It was such a long week. I think I'll just sleep in today. Or I have such an important hobby I need to be involved with. Or, you know, that sporting event, I just really need to go to that. We are foolish beyond measure. We live in a day of foolishness, and even within the church, as you can see, the foolishness continues. And so if there's anything that Jesus is calling us to at the end of this, this whole series, because you, you kind of get to the end, and you're like, okay, well, we'll just wrap this up. To me, as I begin to read the scriptures about foolishness, and begin to feel like, just like brought to my knees, convicted about foolishness in my own life, I think this last sin might be the greatest. And the one that we miss the most. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 3 that the fool walks down the road foolishly. Even as he is on the road, he says to others, you're a fool. Which is the way the world works, right? And they look at us on a Sunday morning, they would say, well, why would you waste that great sleeping in time? Because, uh, you know, I, we get here at ungodly hours, like in the morning. Oh. <laughs> Why would you waste your Saturday? Like the game, we're going to be tailgating all morning. You know, we're going to be drinking. To have, why, would you, why would you spend your time doing this? You guys are a bunch of fools. Why would you make God the center of your marriage? Why would you stay with that person when you really are not even able to stand them right now? Why would you, why would you love that child and then discipline that child so that they say, I don't care about you anymore. I don't love you anymore. Why would you put yourself through that even though you know that you need, they need to be taught and directed that way? You guys are fools. 
Why wouldn't you watch that or listen to that or go there or do this? You guys are fools. Even as their own society, and we're watching this, even as our own society is crumbling and falling apart. So the message of Jesus today is to leave the world behind. That this stuff that we see out there that says it is wise and right and good, man, if it isn't here and it doesn't say wise and right and good, it is death in a bottle. Don't drink it. It is a message of supreme and powerful importance. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible or God are easy to get along with, because we know that's not true. Every time you read the scriptures, the first thing that it should do is whap you upside the head. That's why you want to use a small Bible, maybe a phone. (laughs) Because God will not leave you alone. If you open your life to him, he will not leave. I am living proof that he does not leave people alone. Ask anyone I went to high school with, and they say, what are you doing with your life? And I say, I'm a preacher now. And they all universally say, what? God does not leave people alone. And what he wants to do is he wants to purge you. He wants to clean you. He wants to make you holy. He wants to remove anger from your heart so that murder would never even enter it. He wants to remove lust from your heart so adultery or fornication or sensuality would never even enter it. He wants to remove foolishness from your heart so that you would never ever take a path that would lead you down into death and destruction and hell. He wants to save you. He wants to preserve you. He wants to fill you, as we read in Proverbs, with honor, with good things. He wants you to enjoy life and to stop worrying. And the way you can do that at best is if you give your life to the God who laid the foundations of the earth and you go to his scriptures when you don't know what to do because if I follow my own heart I always end up in a bad place but if I follow the scriptures man life changes and God makes good out of bad so lay aside foolishness lay aside worldly wisdom Lay aside the sins that entangle you and are drawing you down. Lay aside it all. And this morning as we stand to sing this song and as you begin to think in your own heart and and, and, and analyze your own life, whatever that thing is that the Spirit is screaming to you, leave this behind. Listen today. Leave it behind. Make your stand for the Lord. Let your life be His. If you need to make a decision by coming forward, if you need somebody to pray with you, um, Jack's going to be down here to pray with you. Don't let today go by without deciding to follow Jesus in a closer and more vibrant way. Let's sing.